My name is Rob. I am one of the assistant pastors here, and we are continuing tonight in our sermon series on the gospel in the life of David. If you'll remember last week, our senior pastor James spoke about a rather interesting interaction between David and Saul, and David choosing not to exact vengeance on him, even though he could. Tonight, we are looking at David and Abigail. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 25. So on page 247 there in the Bibles in your pew, encourage you to take it, open it up, read it. Um, We are going to be looking at verses 2 through 44. Verses 2 through 44 of 1 Samuel chapter 25. Hear now the word of God. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus shall you greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servant, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their master's. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by day and by night, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five saves of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me, I, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. 
Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to them all so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they say, said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, 
Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also took Ainoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Gollum. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Merciful and mighty God, we pray this evening that you would help us to hear from you. We pray that you would quiet any distractions, that you would open blind eyes, that you would save us from being those who are ever seeing but never perceiving, that you would save us from being those who are ever hearing but never understanding We need to hear from you this night, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Several years back, I was in South Sudan. I've made a number of trips there over the years to help mobilize resources and train pastors. And on this particular trip, we were trying to go to this area called Pibor, which is northeast of the capital of Juba, and it was the rainy season there in South Sudan, and so we couldn't land on the landing strip. It was too wet to land and take off. So I'm trying to work out the logistics for us to drive there, and I'm talking to our guy, and I'm saying, hey, let's just drive to Pibor, all right? And he's like, Rob, we can't drive to Pibor. And I'm like, hey, I've lived in Africa for seven years. I know how to drive in the bush. It's going to be okay. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, we just get stuck on a dirt road, right? I mean, getting stuck on a dirt road is what we did for fun growing up. Like, this is going to be all right. He says, Rob, we, we can't drive to Pibor. After, after decades of conflict, the roads there have not been demined. There are landmines all over the place on the way to Pibor. Rob, we're not going to drive. To which I said, fair enough. (laughs) You had me at landmines. Uh, uh, Can you imagine if I would have naively hopped in the land cruiser and tried to make my way up to Pibor? My friend had rescued me from making a very foolish decision. Now, in this next week, as you cruise around the Beltway and your suburbs, uh, most probably you're not going to run over any literal landmines along the way. But there are those pesky, figurative landmines that litter our lives, right? Those, those, those figurative landmines that show up in our relationships and in our workplaces, in our inner lives, And we try to do what we can to avoid stepping on those. And someone might be here tonight and say, you know what, Rob, it's too late. This past week, in fact, last night, yeah, I I stepped on one of those landmines and damage and chaos is now everywhere. And if that's the case, you're in the right place and this is the right text for you And for me, as we make our way through 1 Samuel 25, we're going to see a few things. We're going to see foolishness and rescue and change. Foolishness, rescue, and change. Our passage starts out, first couple verses there, with some introductions. We meet a, a, a husband and a wife. 
We learn about Abigail right from the get-go that, unfortunately, she has married down, all right, like way down. And, and some of you probably know that couple, right, where you're like, how in the world did that guy end up with her? All right, we read, like, she was, she was discerning and beautiful. But then we read about Nabal, he, he was harsh and badly behaved. We see that he was rich, for whatever that's worth. He had 3,000 sheep. That might kind of make you remember back to last chapter where Saul had 3,000 soldiers. You'll see that Nabal and Saul have a lot in common. We also learn in these first few verses that it's the festive season. How do we know that it's the festive season? Well, because it's sheep shearing time, right? And everybody knows sheep shearing time is party time, or at least in the ancient Near East, that was the case. It's festive season, and so here we come to David, and he's got a favor to ask Nabal. It's actually more of a business deal, right? He wants to work out some of the terms of this business deal. He's been caring for this guy's sheep, and so he wants to see if this guy can take care of him and his men a little bit. And so he goes with the most polite of requests. He sends 10 men, tells them exactly what to say to Nabal. He says, listen, when you get to Nabal's house, you say this, peace be to you, peace be on your family, peace be on all that you have. Right? And this peace there, it's a word you're probably familiar with, shalom. Right? It's more than just peace. It's rich with meaning. It's, it's completeness and fullness David wishes a blessing on Nabal. Blessing be on you. And then he tells his guys to go on and say, listen, hey, we've just been watching over your sheep and over your guys. Things have gone well. No harm has come to them. It's the feast day. Anything you could spare and give to us, you know what? That would be great. If you could just give us a little something. All right? Kids, tonight, if you're listening, go home and study this request. All right? Study the politeness. All right, because the next time you want something, maybe maybe you want like a new video game or some Pokemon cards, or maybe you just want some food after the kitchen's closed and you should be in bed anyway. You just go up to your mom and dad and say, "Mom and dad, peace be to you. <laughs> peace be to your house, and your success rates will go through the roof." All right. The most polite requ- request is is given to Nabal. And what are his words in response? What does he say? He says, who is David? Ouch. Right? Now, we can be almost certain that he knows full well who David is. In fact, the next question is the son of Jesse. Who is this son of Jesse? He might have even heard the songs that were sung about David, the one who kills his ten thousands. He's insulting David by asking these questions. He drives the knife in a little bit further when we read these words. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. He's like, I don't know. There's some guys running out there that maybe kind of left the rightful king and they're just running around in the wilderness, just driving the insult in a little bit more. And then he's just downright rude, right? Like, no, no, you cannot have any of my food. Ain't nobody got time for this. You can't have anything. And sends them on their way. That's his response to David. David gets word of it and then responds with six words of his own. Every man strap on his sword. 
right? He sent 10 men to go make the request. He's going to go back with 400 men to get vengeance. Vengeance, that word should sound familiar if you were around last week. He's now going to go get vengeance. Let's pause for a second and and just look at the abundance of foolishness here so far. Let's, Let's look at Nabal. Hey, Nabal, you're a rich dude, all right? You got thousands of sheep and goats and all kinds of stuff. Surely you can spare some. You have the foolishness of greed, Nabal. And hey, let's remember who you're talking to here. Nabal, you're talking smack to the guy that killed lions and giants. Maybe not the most wise thing to do. The foolishness of pride. Because even there's a nice way to say no. There's a kind way to say no, right? Like maybe it was a bad year. Hey, David, I understand what you're asking for, but times are lean and it's a rough year. And he just hurls insult after insult David's way. And David, he's in full-on foolish mode as well. He's seeking vengeance. David is seeking vengeance. Just last chapter, the Holy Spirit cut his heart to the core to show him that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Just last chapter, he held back all of his men from taking vengeance. And he shouted out to Saul a promise saying, hey, Saul, look, I could have taken vengeance on you. I could have taken your life, but I didn't. And I promise I will never take vengeance. That's what he says to Saul. Saul who has exploited his power. Saul who has threatened the life of his best friend. Saul who has gone after his life multiple times. Saul who's come after him with 3,000 men. But yet David says, I will never take vengeance. And then he comes up to Nabal, and he's like, hey, Nabal, can I have some food? And Nabal's like, no. And then David's like, all right, everybody strap up. We're killing everyone. <laughs> what, what in the world? But I can identify with David here, and maybe you can as well. We see an incredible capacity for forgetfulness, Right? He'd learned a lesson in one place, and now it's a different time and different situation. Uh, Even though he's had an unforgettable experience in the cave, he's here now, and he's forgotten what he learned. Albert Camus, a French existentialist author, no believer in the Christian faith, but he got it right when he said, uh, man's first faculty is forgetting. You and I are creatures of forgetfulness, and we see that in David here. Maybe this sounds familiar. Maybe you see God open doors for you professionally, provide for you in your job, but yet for some reason you're still hooking up with this girl in this unhealthy relationship because you don't trust God to provide in that area of your life like he has professionally. Or maybe when you go out to your workplace, your office, you're among friends. You treat them with the kindness and gentleness that you know honors God. But when you come home, there's the foolishness that we see in David here, the foolishness of this anger, a vicious anger. Listen, it's not okay if there are holes in the wall. 
It's not okay if children are running scared. It's not okay if you ever threaten to hurt your spouse. It's not okay and we're not naive. We know that hits close to home for some of us. And this is a place where you can find help and hope to find freedom from that anger. David has forgotten the lessons he learned. We see in this passage that even decades of faithfulness, because presumably by now, David's been doing pretty good for a decade, right? I mean, he's been seeing God work in his life and provide for him for decades, but decades of faithfulness don't immunize him from foolishness. And while we speak of foolishness, it's Let me say this, foolishness just isn't mental error, okay? When the Bible speaks about foolishness, there's a moral component to it, all right? Foolishness is ignoring the words and the ways of God, all right? Sin is the ultimate foolishness when when we transgress God's law and we look for satisfaction in anything else other than him. You know, the mess and chaos in our life, it's... It's from foolishness and sin, and we need a rescue from it. You need a rescue from it. I need a rescue from it. In this passage, David and Nabal desperately need a rescue from it. They are on a crash course, and we see here, thankfully for all parties, Nabal's servant has picked up on what's going down. Nabal's servant knows what's about to happen, and so he goes to Abigail, Nabal's wife, and he says, "Uh, ma'am, with all due respect, I like to imagine Nabal's servant with a southern accent. Uh, I think he was from South Israel. Uh, But he said, ma'am, with all due respect, your husband is an idiot, all right? Because these guys, they were out there protecting us. He said they were like walls around us. They were a fortress for us when they were there. And they just came and asked for some food. And your guy railed against them. And now they are on their way to bring the pain. And then look what Abigail does. See two things in Abigail. See her work and see her wisdom. Abigail straight away goes to work to make things right. Even though she didn't have anything to do with it, this is someone else's challenge, someone else messed this up, but yet she's going to work to make this right. You're either 200 loaves of bread. I don't care if there's a Costco nearby. 200 loaves of bread is a lot of bread. She prepares multiple donkey loads of food to make this right. And then she goes out into the wilderness to meet warriors, right? Don't miss that. Abigail, in in the ancient Near East, decides to go out and meet 400 bloodthirsty armed men. That is her courage, and that is the work she's doing to make things right. And then look at her wisdom. Look there in verse 24. Look at the first thing she says. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She she didn't have anything to do with this. She didn't know about it. But yet she says, let the guilt be upon me. And she works to make it right. She gives the present, the food that was required, the food that they had asked for. She makes it right. And then, then she reminds David of all the things either he's forgotten or somehow he's missed. He said, look, David, this guy's a worthless fellow, my husband. His name is Nabal. 
And in Nabal, in Hebrew, it, it means fool. It means folly. He is, as his name says, he's a worthless guy. Don't waste your time on him. And David, remember, <clears throat> God has promised that you'll be his prince, his king. All right? And he's promised his hands upon you because you're fighting his battles. And you know what? When you become king, you don't want the regret of knowing you tried to find vengeance for yourself. When you become king, you don't want to have this blood guilt on your record and on your reputation. You're going to regret it, David. And then I love this in verse 29. She says, if men try to harm you, he will hide you. You will be bound in the bundle of the living. What in the world does that mean? It means he's going to, he's going to put you in this, this pouch of sorts, keep you safe. She goes on to say, but your enemies, they will be slung out from the hollow of a sling. You get what's going on there? I mean, that's brilliant, right? She's saying to David, David, I don't know if there's ever been a time in your life where God's provided for you. It's kind of like a sling. Um, and God's going to take care of you and he's going to sling out your enemies. I don't know if that resonates in any way with you. But God has worked in your life in the past sometime, and he's working now to keep you. She speaks a truth that David can understand and hear and know. She brings rescue to David and Nabal, and she points us to rescue as well. You know, when we read stories, we like to read ourselves into stories, right? We all do that. That's our temptation. And especially in these first stories of David's life, it's really tempting to read ourselves in as David. Things are going well for him, and we're reading, and we're like, yeah, I want to be David. We're David. That's all great. But friends, sorry. In tonight's story, you're not David. All right, you and me, we're in a ball. All right, we exercise that same kind of foolishness, that same level of egregious foolishness. In fact, in this, in this chapter, even David is in the ball with his foolishness and will increasingly become so as his life goes on. We'll see some of that very same foolishness. Um, Nabal, let, let me show you how. Nabal, he shows contempt to those that are protecting his sheep, right? Now, when it comes to us, we show contempt for our creator and for our protector. Anytime in thought, word, and deed, we dishonor him, we show that same kind of contempt. Anytime we try to find life and satisfaction uh, or our identity in substances or relationships or possessions, we show that same kind of ugly disrespect and contempt that Nabal showed to David. We show that to our God. We are foolish like of all. And David, David foolishly and wrongly wanted to exact wrath because of what had been done to him. But God, God rightly and justly brings wrath against foolishness and sin. God has a sword and he brings his sword in the form of nails through the hands of his son on the cross. You see, Abigail, Abigail points us to Christ. Christ is the true and greater Abigail. Christ is the truly innocent one that says, let the guilt be on me. 
He's the one that didn't uh, have anything to do with our flaws and brokenness and rebellion, and yet he's the one that works to make it right. Abigail brings bread to the table to make things right between David and Nabal, but Jesus gives his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that things might be made right between us and God. Jesus comes to our rescue, rescuing us from foolish and sin, and anyone tonight that needs rescuing can find it in him. Foolishness, rescue, and change. All right, David's course changes direction. You know, when, you, when you've been rescued, you live differently. When your eyes have been opened and you've seen the truth, you live differently. And so you see that David heeds, his, <clears throat> heeds Abigail's uh, instructions and pleas. Verse 34, he listens to her and decides not to make good on that foolish oath that he made. Abigail goes back to Nabal and tells him everything that went down. He has this pretty startling physical response, physiologically speaking, maybe a stroke, but then several days later, the Lord strikes him dead. So David indeed does see his name vindicated. Now, we don't always see God's justice in that time frame like David did, but we can always know he does work that justice. He ultimately vindicates his people And we can have hope and trust in that. Verse 39, David acknowledges God has done this and rescued him and saved him. But we don't want to miss this. We don't want to miss the role that people played in this rescue and in this change. Think if Nabal's servants would have kept their mouth shut. Think if Abigail wouldn't have said anything. Think if they remained silent. Maybe they were like, hey, not my monkeys, not my circus. I'm just going to stay out of this. Thankfully, they didn't. They spoke truth and affected change. See, change happens in the lives of God's people when other people speak truth into them about who God is and about the foolishness of sin. That's why we encourage people to to join a community group here at MPC because we believe community is used by God to bring change in people's life. If you're not in a community group, would you consider joining one? Not so you can just add one more thing to do in your already hectic DC life, but because you're a forgetful person and I'm a forgetful person and we need relationships to rescue us from our forgetfulness. Well, that's why we encourage our kids to go to D-Cubed and to go to youth group so that they can start to form relationships that will remind them of who God is, rescue them from their foolishness because they're pointing them to the true rescuer in Christ. That's why we have these things called renewal groups because we know sometimes foolishness, sometimes foolishness victimizes us and we experience abuse. And so we have renewal groups and support groups for those who have been Uh, victimized by the foolishness and sin of others. Sometimes we know that foolishness and sin, our own foolishness and sin wrecks our lives, whether it's sexual brokenness and addiction, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's substance abuse. And so we we have spaces in the life of our church, small communities where you can come and join and be reminded of who God is, the power of his love, and a grace that changes everything. 
God uses community to bring about change. In fact, you guys just saw that in the sacrament of baptism, right? You saw these names in here. You saw one right before you, and you all raised your hand and took an oath to say, hey, we're, this community, we're going to help these parents. Because you know what? In parenthood, there's a great temptation to do foolish things. I'm not just saying that because it's Newman either, right? <laughs> I'm saying it because I know myself, and I know this past week, and I know the past 11 years. Uh, and there's a lot of temptation to do foolish things in parenting, and we need rescue, and we need community. We need a community like this to come around each other, to love, support, and pray for each other. Community is used by God to bring change into the lives of his people. I would imagine as you were preparing to come tonight to the worship service, you weren't thinking like, hey, I hope I get there and somebody tells me that I'm a fool because that would be really great. Uh, but that's, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel, right? The, be- the beautiful thing about the work of Christ and the good news of it is that it tells us of what we already know to be true and what we desperately hope to be true. Right? It tells us that we're sinful and messed up and flawed, and yet that we're forgiven. It does tell us that we're foolish, but there is a love and an affection that cares for us so much that he will not leave us in our foolishness. It tells us that we aren't perfect people, but that we are perfectly loved. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do indeed rescue us from our foolishness, that you've sent your Son to take our guilt and to accomplish the work that we could never accomplish, to lead us to light and life and hope and truth. So we pray again, would you impress these realities upon our soul? Would you give us courage and hope to face a new day knowing that you are a great and true rescuer. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and Savior, we pray. Amen.